God will bring down those who falsely claim to stand for Him in order to raise up those who will truly speak for Him. And by grace we stand on your promises, and by faith we to ask you, how familiar are you with brand ambassadors? Even if you're not familiar with the term, you probably know of a few brand ambassadors for famous brands, even without really thinking about it. You know what brand of clothes your favorite athlete wears. You know what kind of watch your favorite actress wears. You might even know which pop singers drink Pepsi and which drink Coke. These are the famous people who represent particular brands for more money than they could spend in their lifetimes. So if you come out with a new line of sports clothing, who might you want to do the work of brand ambassador? Who would you want people to think of when they think of your brand, the, the face behind your brand? If money were not an issue, would you try to woo one of the stars already sporting Nike or Adidas? Or would you try to start small and try to build a brand for the underdogs? Whatever the case, I think you would understand the need for your new brand to be well represented. You would want athletes who have a, a good reputation both on and off the court. But imagine the damage it would cause the reputation of your brand if you had a big name wearing your, your new line of clothing or sportswear and then, uh, and then this person robbed a bank. Soon videos would pop up on, on social media. The thief is running away with a, a pair, wearing a pair of your brand's tennis shoes and, and your brand, fully your brand clothing. What might people begin to think? Perhaps even in a best-case scenario, your brand would be kind of a, become kind of a joke. Oh yeah, if you want to rob a bank, wear those clothes, wear that brand. Those shoes will have you flying. But whatever the case, people would start associating your brand with this particular crime, wouldn't they? Now, even if the association is not right, even if it's not logical, there's already this association. So-and-so is sporting, fill in the name of your brand here, shoes, as you rob the bank. So this particular brand ambassador would hurt your brand's reputation. And things kind of like this do happen. Someone working as a brand ambassador for a particular company makes some racist comments and the company drops that person as fast as possible. Because obviously this company doesn't want to be associated with racism. So we want to be fairly represented, don't we? We don't want people jumping to false conclusions. Now this morning I want to ask you, how do you think God would like to be represented? If people claiming to represent God are, are falsely standing for him, then what do you think God might do? How long might someone be 
allowed to falsely represent God. Unlike a new brand that may see a need for brand ambassadors, God needs no brand ambassadors. God needs no ambassadors, and yet he, he still use, chooses to use them. We'll explore these questions in our study of 1 Samuel this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel 2, beginning in verse 12. Last time we were in the book of Samuel, we heard Hannah's song of praise. In our passage this morning, we see, the, we see truth about God that Hannah proclaimed displayed as God brings down the proud and raises up the humble. It'd be especially helpful for you to keep your Bible open this Sunday, as it's quite a long passage, for 1 Samuel 2.12, and including all of chapter 3. It's also printed in your bulletin. The plan is to work through this passage in sections, but before doing so, I'd like to introduce a main idea statement to help give us a, pr a framework for this section of 1 Samuel. And that main idea is this. God will bring down those who falsely claim to stand for him in order to raise up those who will truly speak for him. God will bring down those who falsely claim to stand for him in order to raise up those who will truly speak for him. The sentence breaks down into the two points of the sermon. Point one, God will bring down those who falsely claim to stand for him. And point two, God will raise up those who truly speak for him. So let's begin with point one. God will bring down those who falsely claim to stand for him. In this first point, we'll look at 1 Samuel 2, verse 12 until the end of the chapter, but we'll break it up into sections. So please first look with me at 1 Samuel 2, verses 12 to 17. 1 Samuel 2, verses 12 to 17. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the man treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. 1 Samuel 1 had mentioned the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, who were priests of the Lord. Here in verse 12, we're told that the sons of Eli are worthless men. They are the kind of evildoers that Eli falsely assumed Hannah was. When Eli assumed Hannah was drunk, Hannah replied, Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. The root of the evil of the sons of Eli is stated clearly in verse 12. Hophni and Phinehas did not know the Lord. The very men who were supposed to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people to the true God, the very men who were supposed to be examples of holiness, 
who are supposed to mediate before God for the people actually did not know God. The sons of Eli did not worship God. They used their position as priests for their own selfish and greedy ends. Hophni and Phinehas paid no regard to how God's law taught that sacrifices should be made. They simply wanted the best cuts of meat for themselves. God's law specifically taught what parts of the animal were to be given to the priests. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 3, the priest's food is to be the shoulder, the two cheeks, and the stomach of an ox or sheep. Now, but that wasn't enough for Hophni and Phinehas. They wanted bigger and better hunks of meat. Also, God's law taught in Leviticus that the fat was meant to be burned, to be offered to God. But the priests at Shiloh were not trying to offer right sacrifices to God. And if Israelites who knew God tried to insist on obeying God's law by burning the fat first, Hophni and Phinehas' servant would threaten the person trying to sacrifice. Now, I imagine it would have been difficult for the Israelites to stand up to this servant who's wielding this giant three-pronged meat fork. God's law was meant to provide enough meat for the priests to live on. But Hophni and Phinehas had twisted it. So they were fattening up on the best parts of whatever animal was to be sacrificed when those parts were commanded to be directly given to God. Verse 17 sums it up well. These men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. They showed no respect for God's offering. Perhaps you've heard the phrase contempt of court when someone shows no respect for the law and the legal process. Here, Hophni and Phinehas are guilty of contempt of God by showing contempt for his offerings. This was a dark time for Israel. How could Israelites worship God as God ordained when those who were supposed to lead Israel in worship didn't even worship him? Those who were supposed to be an example of holiness held a complete disregard for God's laws. This may seem obvious, but those who are going to re represent God first have to know God. In today's day and age, there are many who falsely represent God. The New Testament speaks of wolves, speaks of antichrists. At first, some of these people may appear to know God, but by their life or by their teaching, it becomes apparent that they actually do not know him. At times, looking at stories of church leaders in the news today, we may feel discouraged as well. We may have heard of famous pastors or leaders who have been caught in scandal, or a few who have appeared to have left the faith entirely. When shepherds are not truly under-shepherds of the Lord Jesus, the sheep are in danger. But what will become of these false ambassadors, these fakes who claim to represent God? Save that thought as we continue to look at the story of Hophni and Phinehas. Skipping ahead a few verses, We'll come back to those verses in the second point. Let's skip ahead to verses 22 to 25. Here we see how Eli admonishes his sons. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, 
Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voices of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. So not only do Hophni and Phinehas hold God's law in contempt when it comes to carrying out their duties as priests, but Hophni and Phinehas rebel against God's law when it comes to what is meant only for the marriage bed. One can think of Jesus driving the money changers out of the te- temple saying that they had made God's house of prayer a den of thieves. One can imagine Jesus' reaction to the sin of Hophni and Phinehas who had made God's house of prayer into their personal brothel. Eli's reprimand doesn't seem to really get to the heart of the sin of his sons. Instead, it more focuses on their reputation. Israelites who actually cared about right and wrong were bringing their concerns to Eli, and word had already spread far and wide of the evil that Eli's sons were doing. Eli does make a true comment, though, in verse 25. He says, if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? The sins of Hophni and Phinehas were blaspheming God's character and tarnishing what the tabernacle was meant to represent. This was where God was to be with his people. But instead, God was being rejected for sensual pleasures. And notice why Hophni and Phinehas did not listen to their father. The passage doesn't say it was because they were stubborn or hard-headed, although I would assume that's true as well. The passage says they did not listen because it was God's will to put them to death. That's a scary fact. The evil of Hophni and Phinehas had reached a point at which the Bible clearly states that God's will was to put them to death for their sins. One might recall Pharaoh hardening his heart, hardening his heart until God himself hardened Pharaoh's heart. Hophni and Phinehas had come to the point where they would listen to no warning, and God would put them to death. So brothers and sisters, let's pray that that we always have soft hearts to reprimands and, and to rebukes if we are in sin. Let us not harden our hearts to protect any favorite sins. You can't keep sin under a leash and expect that you will remain in control. One author compared it to stories of people keeping a pet snake and then the snake eating them. Sin can kill you. And if you keep it as your pet, if you feed it, you protect it, sin will harden you. Sin will harden you to the love of others and the love of God in a way that will make it very hard to repent. Hophni and Phinehas had no interest in repentance. And the sad thing for them was they never would repent. In contrast, let us be quick to pray. In contrast, let us pray that we be quick to repent. That we be quick to listen to a rebuke when it's meant for our good. Eli's rebuke may have been somewhat half-hearted, but it was still an opportunity for his sons to see their sins. But Eli's sons are not the only one in need of a rebuke. Eli needs a rebuke as well. We'll come to verse 26 later, but skip verse 26 and look with me at verses 
27 to 36. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus the Lord has said, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded, and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so there will not be an old man in your house. Then, in distress, you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I'll raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. A man of God comes to Eli. We, we don't know his name. This man begins by reminding Eli of the privilege of serving in the priesthood. And this man continues by saying that Eli is complicit in the sins of his sons. God says that Eli is, is honoring his sons above God. Eli doesn't discipline his sons. Eli is becoming fat along with his sons because they share the best cuts of meat with him. The fatty parts that were supposed to be burned, Eli himself is eating along with his sons. When I think of Eli doing this, I, I think, what if I had my older son steal from me? Now, he's only two years old. He doesn't really know what he's doing when he's in a fruit stand and running around with whatever fruit he wants to grab. But what if, even as he grew older, every time he brought me a, a peach or a pear or a banana, I would tell him, no, that's wrong. Don't steal. Oh, yeah, give it to me. I'll cut it up and let's eat it. My actions would be speaking louder than my words, wouldn't they? That's what Eli is doing. His mouth is telling his sons that they're sinning, but he's still eating the meat that his sons were not supposed to roast. And Eli's sons are not toddlers. They're grown men. And so God's punishment is not simply directed towards Eli's sons. It's directed towards Eli and, and Eli's house. Eli and his sons have despised the Lord, and so the man of God states that there will come a day when there will be no old man in the house of Eli. All the descendants of Eli will one day die by the sword with only one left, and he's left to cry his eyes out. And as a sign of what's to come, Hophni and Phinehas will die on the same day. 
priesthood of Eli will be replaced by a faithful priest. The Bible speaks of various fulfillments of this prophecy. The story of Hophni and Phinehas' death will come in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Decades later, 1 Kings chapter 2 speaks of Abiathar the priest, the last priest and the priest of, of Eli, being expelled from the priesthood by Solomon, fulfilling the prophecy spoken to Eli. And what about the faithful high priest promised here? It would seem that the initial fulfillment of the prophecy would be Zadok the priest, who faithfully served as priest under King Solomon, taking the place of Eli's descendant, Abiathar. It doesn't say how Eli responds to this man's prophecy, for Samuel 2 simply ends here. It ends with this prophecy of judgment. Those who have been given the title of priest but do not lead the Lord's people to worship will be stripped of their title, and at least for Hophni and Phinehas, delivered a death sentence. Now let's stop for a second. Can you see God's mercy to his people here? Not referring to God's mercy to Hophni and Phinehas, but actually how in punishing Eli and his household, God showed mercy to his people and would deliver Israel from a corrupt priesthood. Those who falsely stand for God may lead many astray. One can imagine Israelites being disillusioned by the sacrificial system at that time, perhaps losing all motivation to make sacrifices, knowing that their sacrifices would be simply eaten by worthless bullies who called themselves priests. And so when God brings judgment on Eli and his household, God is protecting his people from those who have no love of God and and no love for his people in their hearts. God will not be mocked. This is good to remember when at times the world feels today filled with wolves. There are many who claim to represent Christ, but are actually either teaching a, a false gospel or living unrepentant lives that tarnish the reputation of true Christians. But just as God judged Eli and his household to show mercy to his people, God will one day judge the wolves that roam around today, and thus show mercy to his people. God would bring Eli and his sons down from their high position. God is a God of knowledge, as Hannah saying. The Lord weighed the actions of Eli and his sons. Judgment would come. Judgment that would protect God's people and protect God's reputation. God's priesthood should be occupied by those who love God, by those who love his people. Hannah praised God in song, saying, There is none holy like the Lord. God's holiness was being sneered at by Eli and his sons. God must be honored, and evil must be punished. False ambassadors must be relieved of their duties. And that brings us to our second point. God will raise up those who will truly speak for him. We skipped over a few passages in chapter 2, so let's look back at those. Please open to 1 Samuel 2, verses 18 to 21. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. 
Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. And then skip down to verse 26. It reads, Now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord, and also with man. Notice how interspersed in the dark story of Hophni and Phinehas, there's this glimmer of hope. God is at work. Samuel was ministering before the Lord. Samuel was growing in the presence of the Lord. And as verse 26 reads, Samuel was growing both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. In contrast to Hophni and Phinehas's wicked reputation, Samuel had a blameless reputation. Samuel wore a linen ephod, characteristic of the priesthood. And in contrast to Eli's admonishment of his own sons, Eli continued to pronounce blessing on Elkanah and his wife. And the Lord does bless Hannah with more children. Eli, uh, Israel's priesthood was in a dark time. But here we see there was a boy who was growing up in God's presence who would come to know the Lord. Just as in the time of the judges, God would over and over again raise up a leader to deliver God's people. God is raising up a priest who would actually be faithful to him. Please look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 3, and listen as I read the whole chapter. Notice that Samuel is meant to fulfill a unique role. While Samuel is serving under Eli the, the priest, the assumption is that Samuel will serve a priestly role, but chapter 3 brings to the forefront the need for Samuel to speak on God's behalf. In other words, the role of Samuel as a prophet will come to the forefront here. Let's read 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call lie down again. So he went and laid down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, 
Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Verse 1 sets the scene. The word of God was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Samuel is lying down in the temple. And the Lord called Samuel. Notice how many times the word call is repeated in this passage. There's this idea of speaking, calling. The Lord speaks, the Lord calls Samuel. It says in verse 7 that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, but in contrast to Hophni and Phinehas, the expectation is that Samuel will very, very soon know the Lord. The Lord is patient with Samuel and calls Samuel a third time. By this time, Eli realizes that the Lord is calling Samuel and tells Samuel how to reply. And so the next time the Lord calls Samuel, Samuel replies, Speak, for your servant hears. The words that God speaks to Samuel are the punishment that the man of God foretold in the previous chapter. God will very soon fulfill the prophecy that was spoken against Eli and all his house. The news of this would spread throughout all Israel. Just as all Israel knew of the sin of Eli's sons, all of Israel would hear of God's punishment brought down on Eli and his sons. Their ears would tingle at this news. At first, Samuel is afraid to tell this vision to Eli. But Eli promises a curse on Samuel if he does not tell Eli. And so Samuel tells Eli everything. If there was any question whether or not Samuel would accurately speak God's word, the answer is here. Samuel told Eli everything and hid nothing from him. One can imagine how difficult it might have been for Samuel to tell Eli of God's judgment against him. Eli had taken care of Samuel since Hannah had brought Samuel to Shiloh. Eli had raised Samuel like a son, but Samuel needed to speak God's judgment against Eli. Samuel does so, and Eli responds submissively. Submissively. Eli doesn't get angry. He doesn't complain. He knows his sin. And yet, instead of this submissive response, one might wonder why Eli does not seek to repent. Why Eli does not put on sackcloth and ashes and pray. Why Eli does not once again tell his sons of the doom that God has pronounced on them. Instead, Eli is quiet. He waits for the judgment to come. Finally, in verses 19 to 21, Samuel's growing up is continued to be described. This would not be the last time God would speak his words to Samuel. The Lord was with Samuel and would let none of his words fall to the ground. The test of a true prophet is that what they say is true because it comes from God. If they make a prophecy, it will come to pass because God keeps his word. And the word spread throughout all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, from the northern to the southern borders of Israel. God 
had a true prophet in Israel, and his name was Samuel. The Lord would continue to reveal himself at Shiloh to Samuel, and Samuel would continue to speak God's words. The people of Israel knew of the sins of the priests at Shiloh, but they soon came to know that there was someone who truly represented God at Shiloh, the young man Samuel, who spoke God's words to God's people. If we zoom out on a bit on the history of Israel, we can see the significance of this even more clearly. We read that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. In the book of Judges, occasionally would be introduced to a prophet. But there's something different here about Samuel. Samuel is established as a prophet of the Lord. He is not a prophet who will only speak one prophecy in the Bible and who will never hear from again. Instead, the people of Israel would be able to look to Samuel throughout his whole lifetime as one who speaks what God had spoken to him. As word spread of Samuel's relationship with God, I wonder how many people might have thought, could Samuel himself be the fulfillment of prophecy? Just as God called Samuel, saying, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel responded, here I am, there was another prophet who God called and who gave the same response. God called to Moses out of a burning bush, saying, Moses, Moses. And Moses replied, here I am. God would give Moses the law, God's words to pass on to the people of Israel. And God also revealed to Moses something very interesting. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, Moses is speaking and says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. I wonder if any of the people of Israel thought to themselves, could, could Samuel be the prophet like Moses? Could Samuel be the one Moses told us to be waiting for? And Samuel would play a key role in speaking on God's behalf to the people of Israel and to their kings. His role in the history of Israel will be very important. But I don't think we would necessarily say that it eclipses the role of the prophet Moses. In order to see the fulfillment of Moses' prophecy, we have to wait longer and look further. And we have to keep asking ourselves, how has God spoken to his people? Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 2, says this. Long ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The prophet greater than Moses was more than a prophet. He was the Son of God. This is how God has spoken to the world through his Son, Jesus. It's ultimately because of Jesus that we also have a message for the world. If it were not for Jesus, all of our iniquity would be like the iniquity of Eli's house. There would be no atonement for it. But Jesus came, the Word made flesh, and sacrificed himself so that our sins could be atoned for. What wonderful good news that is. Jesus' words and his teaching were of such importance, but the way he lived was also important. If Jesus did not live a sinless life, he could not have died as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Remember 1 Samuel 2, verse 26. It read, Now the young man Samuel 
continue to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Does that sound familiar? In the scripture reading this morning, you heard Luke 2, verse 52, which says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Almost exactly the same description is used for Jesus as was used for Samuel, as Jesus grew from a boy into a young man. In a dark time in Israel's history, God gave his people Samuel to speak the words of God to the people. And Samuel practiced what he preached. Samuel would grow in wisdom and in stature and live obediently before God. Like Samuel, Jesus came onto the scene when it was rare to hear a word from the Lord. It was already 400 years since Israel had heard a word from the Lord. And Jesus would live obediently before God, not, not just in a relative sense, but in a perfect sense. Jesus would be the perfect prophet, who would not only speak God's word faithfully, but who was and is the fulfillment of all God's word. Not only would Jesus speak God's word, but because Jesus was and is God, he perfectly represents God. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, the believers in this room want to introduce you to Jesus. We want to tell you who Jesus was and why he came. We want to tell you that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus has made a way for you to know God. We want to tell you that all of us deserve the same punishment of death that Hophni and Phinehas were given for their sins. All who do not, do not believe in God are showing contempt towards God. And yet, even when we were enemies of God, God sent Jesus. So read what Jesus taught. Listen to the words of Jesus. They are the words of God. If you're not a Christian, a great place to start in reading the Bible would be to start with one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and read more about who Jesus is. The members of WSBC would be happy to talk more with you about this as well. And let's be, let this be an encouragement for all of our souls. God continues to be faithful to his people. God has raised up his son Jesus to be obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Jesus is the ultimate prophet. Everything that Jesus says is true. Not only is he speaking on God's behalf, he is God. The God-man, the true prophet, came to this world and showed this world what God is like. God is spirit. But if you're wondering what God was like, look to what God's word says about Jesus. And yet for Christians, the story doesn't end there. The role of speaking God's word is a responsibility that we have as Christians. We are to be proclaimers of the truth of God's word. We can relate to Samuel being afraid to speak the truth at first. But even when we're afraid, we must be obedient to our task. God may give us the responsibility to confront another Christian in their sin. In such cases, we must be faithful to God's word. God may give us the opportunity to share the gospel with others. In such cases, we must accurately proclaim God's word. While the role of prophet may not be the same today, we are people who continue to speak God's words 
to others today. And we have the responsibility to do so accurately. Finally, brothers and sisters, let us continue to look on Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the word of God who came and lived among us. As we seek to live as proclaimers of God's word, let us look to Jesus, the author and protector of our faith. Samuel gives us a glimpse of what a good prophet should be like. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the prophetic role. Jesus truly spoke for God because he was and is God. When Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? He was staring the way, the truth, and the life right in the face. God's word made flesh. What a privilege it is that God would make known to us the truth in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for sending your Son, Jesus. Father, we, we praise you for who you are. And Jesus, we praise you for who you are. Jesus, we praise you for you are the true prophet. We praise you for you are the Word made flesh. And Father, we do pray that we would be faithful to your Word, that we would be faithful proclaimers of your Word, and that we would be faithful to live out your word. Lord, would you strengthen us by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.